0: Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be.
1: More information
0: about the Aging Life Care Association is available at
1: www.midatlanticalca.org.
0: Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Climate change is about the earth getting warmer and the problems it causes for people and the planet we live on. Older adults are vulnerable to climate change-related health impacts, And as the U.S. population age 65 and above increases, so will the number of people living with these vulnerabilities. Today, I have two guests, Julie Becker and Rose Schneider. Julie is the Senior Public Health Scholar and Climate Change Advisor with Physicians for Social Responsibility, Pennsylvania. Rose is a Senior Public Health and Climate Change Advisor. Both of them are going to talk about the causes of climate change and how they can impact the health of older adults. They're also going to offer solutions that individuals and communities can take to reduce the effects of climate change. So welcome, Julie and Rose, and thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you, Cheryl, for allowing us to come and share our information with folks. We really appreciate that.
0: Okay. Well, Let's get started. We'll uh, turn to you, Julie, first. I think what we need here is a clarification of terms. We hear this, this topic so much and they have different terms that you hear. So let's talk about climate change and the difference between that and global warming and weather. What do we need to know?
2: So climate change refers to increasing changes in our atmosphere, which include precipitation, temperature, and wind, but it's over a long period of time. Global warming means that we have a rise in global temperature, mainly due to increased concentration of greenhouse gases and their ability to trap heat. There are several types of greenhouse gases, Four of them are man-made and two are not not man-made. One is carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, fluorinated gases, which means those uh, cooling gases that we use for our refrigerators or air conditioning, ozone, and water vapor. Both of those are naturally occurring. And the last definition is weather. Weather refers to short-term atmospheric conditions. So climate change is long-term, weather is short-term.
0: I wanted to tease that out a little bit, Julie. Are oftentimes these terms used interchangeably? Do some folks that are writing about this, do they know the difference?
2: Well, sometimes they use climate change and global warming interchangeably, but they're technically different terms. So the definitions that I provided for you come from NASA, NOAA, and the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is from the United Nations. And so they make a very strong distinction, all three groups make a very strong distinction between climate change and global warming. And they also make a a distinction between climate change and weather. So really and truly the best way to think about it is, climate change refers to the atmosphere and refers to precipitation temperature, and wind. Global warming only refers to the temperature. And weather refers to a short term look at precipitation, temperature, and wind.
0: Well, and obviously what we're going to talk about most of all today is climate change and global warming. Tell us about the major causes of these two conditions.
2: Well, I'm going to sum it up, Cheryl, for you in a nutshell. Humans specifically our actions and the use of fossil fuels like coal and gas. Fossil fuels has changed the water cycle, which is the interaction between the air, the sea, and land, and the change in this cycle can help generate extreme weather and temperature events. Additionally, we know that some of our activities also have an effect as well. So when we grow food, When we build roads and when we go ahead and create more space for urban areas, referred to often as deforestation, it can change the reflexivity of the Earth's surface. And what that means is is that the way in which we go ahead and get sunlight, it comes down to the Earth and then hopefully it bounces off and goes into the atmosphere and dissipates out to space. But that is not happening anymore, because in many of our urban settings, we're using materials like concrete and tar to cover surfaces, both of which are heat absorbers, and they don't reflect the heat. By increasing the number of trees in urban areas, we can help to reduce the heat absorption.
0: So I guess what I'm hearing you say is that whereas humans are the cause, they could also be part of the solution.
2: Absolutely. As I always like to frame it, humans cause climate change, humans can fix.
0: Okay, well, that's what we want to learn more about today during the, the program. But let's kind of expand on the causes. As the temperatures are increasing, explain to us what are the effects on the physical environment. Let's start with that. And then let's expand then to humans and animals.
2: So the, we've identified about 10 or 11 things that kind of are the key things that are in, uh, changing as a result of climate change. Number one, we are seeing um, an increase in temperature. And so when we see that increase in temperature, it is helping to go ahead and create heat waves or extreme, um, temper- extreme effects due to temperature. We also are seeing heavy precipitation, mostly in the form of rain, and much less snow. So, for example, the snowpack, which normally would melt in the western part of the United States, we're not seeing that as much because there isn't as much. So it's not refilling the rivers that are out there. And so then what we have is we're seeing drought conditions in some places, and we've seen that, for example, in California um, and in other countries as well. As we go ahead and have more warming, we are then seeing the Arctic sea level decrease and the sea level increase. So it's like as we go ahead and lose ice, we are seeing the sea level increase, and then what we also are seeing is more acidification, and that changes the who can live in the oceans, the marine species. How is that also going to affect us on the land? Well, we're going to change our growing seasons. So In some cases, they're going to become shorter, and in some cases, they're going to go longer. And depending on whether you're in a floodplain or whether or not you're in a drought, it's going to change what kinds of crops you can grow. It's going to change the number of heat-related days and Cool-related days so that our how we heat and cool our homes are going to need to be modified. And lastly, we're going to see a lot more wildfires, as evidenced by seeing wildfires in Colorado in December. I guess we're
0: going to be talking more about humans. Is there kind of any generic effects that you want to talk about right now, or should we move on to the the most vulnerable populations?
2: Well, in terms of how it's going to affect humans, um, we so basically we are going to have to learn to become more resilient when it comes to climate change. So for example, in extreme heat conditions, we're going to have to change our behaviors a little bit, especially older folks, because we are a more vulnerable population. So I'll talk a little bit more about some of the physiologic and chronic disease aspects of this in a little bit. But basically what it boils down to, um, when we have increased temperature and weather events, humans and animals are confronting climate change. For example, wildfires not only cause the loss of homes and entire communities, as we've seen in Colorado, but significant losses of wildlife and their habitats. In 2021, we've had an incredibly active year. We've had hurricanes, wildfires, droughts, deep freezes, flooding, and tornadoes, making 2021 one of the costliest and deadliest years for natural disasters in the U.S. So we started the year off by seeing Texas freeze, Seattle roast, parts of California either flood, burn, and flood again, a hurricane that hit. Louisiana that ended up going up the East Coast and flooding New York City, a blizzard in Hawaii, and a violent outbreak in tornadoes in nine states in December, as well as wildfires in Colorado. This has created an incredible destruction, and there were about 20 disasters that occurred, more than... $1 $1 billion totaling $150 billion. So this is not only just taking a toll on us physically, but it's also taking a financial toll on the country as a whole. I've talked mostly about the US, and um, Rose has a lot more experience with working with folks in from other countries, so I'm gonna ask Rose to talk a little bit about some of her experience.
1: Thanks, Julie. Um... I live in Washington, D.C. and Columbia Heights, and there's a predominant, um, well, there's a large group of Salvadorans and other Central Americans. And at our church, we are aware that a number of these families either have had to move up from Central America because of the droughts that have killed the crops there, and they're unable to raise their corn and and beans to be able to survive. It also affects the, the Salvadorans, um, Guatemalans and others because they're sending money home to these areas to try to maintain uh, the livelihoods and the lives of their families there. So we've seen a lot in, in Central America. There's a whole swatch of Central America that is a what they call a drought corridor and they've been unable to to raise their crops. So it's pretty serious.
0: Yeah, and thanks for saying that, Rose, because it's really the domino effect. You know, we hear a lot about uh, the the migrants and why they're moving north and we never hear about that. We might hear about some other issues that they're dealing with. So it it really is the the domino effect in this whole crisis. So Julie, I want to get back to you uh, about vulnerability. In in my introduction, I talked about older adults, and I want to hear more about the, the effects of climate change on older adults. Is this population the one that's the most vulnerable, or did you want to speak briefly about any other groups that might also be suffering as a result of climate change?
2: So generally... The groups that are considered the most vulnerable are children, older adults, folks that are differently abled, pregnant women, and people living in poverty. And because each of these groups are a little bit different in terms of why they have vulnerability. So I think for the purposes of this conversation, we'll just focus on older adults. But I will say the reason why people focus on children and pregnant women is because children Um, Generally, per body mass, they consume and breathe and do everything more than an adult does. And that makes a big difference in terms of what they're able to take in and um, how they're better able to regulate some of the things that they're doing. Pregnant women, because pregnancy is a very um, sensitive time, also, too, can be exposed to more of these kinds of environmental effects, and that, too, will have an issue on them.
0: Well, and I suspect some of the uh, effects that you're going to be talking about in connection with older adults might also be applicable to some of these other populations as well.
2: Absolutely, Um, especially when we start talking about some of the respiratory issues. That's very common.
0: Well, then let's move into... The effects of climate change on older adults. Let's start by the physiologic effects. What are we seeing?
2: So, as people age, our body systems become less resilient um, to environmental conditions, and since climate change is going to is going to and is causing changes in the environment, our body systems are going to be affected. So, for example, the heart may not pump as efficiently lungs don't work as well. It's harder for the kidneys to process waste and balance the body fluids, and it's harder to regulate our body temperatures. So that kind of gives you a sense of what our physiologic symptoms are as we age, and every single one of those is going to be impacted by climate change. Going
0: a little bit further in terms of chronic diseases, there are a lot of chronic diseases that older adults are dealing with. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely. So, we're going to focus on four of them, and and in all honesty, it basically is going to affect um, older adults' total health. But I'm going to focus on four four of them because it's going to make a a little bit different. So, if you have a heart condition, you need to be cognizant of extreme heat and extreme cold, because you need to maintain your fluid levels you can be exposed to either heat stroke, and poor air quality has been shown to have a link to heart problems, specifically heart attacks. When we come to the respiratory system, again, fluid levels are going to make a big difference, and you're gonna potentially also have issues related to heat stroke and poor air quality. The thing with the respiratory conditions, we can think about it from asthma point of view, or we can think of it from um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, both of which, if there is, say, for example, poor air quality, it's going to be harder to breathe and or it's going to trigger an event in the case of an asthmatic. The other thing we're going to talk about is allergies. And it That has to do with poor air quality, which can increase the severity of allergic reactions or the length of time for the allergy season or increase the number of allergies that you have. It also ends up, if if the allergy season increases, that's going to become a financial burden to older adults because they're going to need to have more medications over time. Lastly, cancer. That's something that everybody um, doesn't necessarily play with in terms of climate change, but it does have a big impact upon older adults. Often with cancer treatments, you become very sensitive to sunlight. So therefore, we're going to have more sunlight It's going to be stronger because of the change in the ozone layer. Making sure that you have protective equipment or the use of sunscreen is going to become crucial. And the other thing, too, is due to cancer treatments, your energy level and hydration may vary because you may not feel terrifically well. So we need to be aware of that on what we are able to do for a given day. So what I tell folks are the watchword is be flexible and to go ahead and and think about it from that perspective. Cheryl? I'm
0: also thinking about very major problems that we're still dealing with, especially in this country, is obesity. And another thing, especially when you were talking about respiratory, is people who smoke. I would imagine that those two categories might also suffer, especially also if they're older adults, as a result of climate change. Have you seen this too, Julie?
2: Well, here's the thing. As, as I said before, um, it is going to affect basically every aspect of every disease. So going forward, so in the case of obesity, um, what we choose to eat matters. Our choices may be diminished as a result of climate change, and so getting the kind of healthy, nutritious food we need may be severely hampered by the growing season, or by severe flooding or drought. When it comes to issues of like smokers. Um, they are definitely gonna be impacted just like asthmatics or people with any other respiratory conditions. So you are correct about that.
0: All right, well, let's move on to another aspect of older adults' lives and that's activities. What is the impact of climate change insofar as activities of older adults?
2: That's a really good question. And so in summary, with extreme temperatures and precipitation events, paying attention to what you're able to do on a given day becomes really important. So I'm gonna go ahead and share a little bit about myself. So I have a major heart condition. And so I have had to restructure what I do on a given day. So every morning, I check three things. I check what's, what's gonna the, what is gonna be the temperature, what's the air quality, And are there any extreme weather events predicted that could take me by surprise, like tornadoes, which we've had. um, I live in the Philadelphia area, so which we've had in the Philadelphia area. As a result of those three components, I amend my activities, especially during extreme heat, so that I garden early in the morning between 5 and 6 a.m., and then I'm done and I don't go out until the day's heat has dissipated. It's caused me to rethink my schedules, but it's important to be aware of the weather and temperature so that I don't put myself at risk. The goal is not to go to the hospital, and so by doing this, this helps me to do that. If the weather is going to be inclement, I may reschedule my visits to my healthcare providers from either in-person visits to telehealth. And the Other thing that I often do with regards to some of my activities is I receive from my health department alerts having to do with weather or temperature, Um, and even if it's going to be a bad ozone day, and that helps me kind of set up what I can do and what I can't do. And I think for older adults, we're going to need to be paying attention to this more because weather patterns are going to change, and we're going to start to see more and more effects from climate change.
0: I'm also thinking in terms of what you're talking about, Julie, is all of these uh, possible activities that we have to monitor are made even worse by COVID and what we've had to deal with in terms of social isolation or uh, social distancing. Uh, Would you agree that the whole issue of the pandemic has kind of exacerbated the climate change issue?
2: It's exacerbated what we can and can't do from an activity point of view. You know, people who are um, medically vulnerable, they've had to really restrict their activities um, because they can't be around other folks not knowing their vaccination status. And what climate change has done is it kind of reinforce some of that isolation as we go forward and decrease the amount of activities older adults can do because of potentially their health status.
0: Well, a lot to think about and more to come here. So we're going to take a short break. We're talking with Julie Becker, who is the Senior Public Health Scholar and Climate Change Advisor with Physicians for Social Responsibility, Pennsylvania. And in the second half, we're also going to be talking with Ro Schneider, who's a senior public health and climate change advisor. So remember, you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking with two climate change advisors, Julie Becker and Rose Schneider. And during the first half, we covered the causes and the definitions and what's happening. And at the close of the first half, we talked about the effects of climate change on older adults. And we're now at talking about social consequence. So... Julie, what can you tell us in terms of of that aspect of older adults' lives?
2: So, because of the changing climate, we need to rethink goods and services for older adults. There is a federally funded program called Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program. It can provide assistance with heating costs during the winter this program will need to be expanded to cover cooling costs during the summer and into the fall. We're also going to need to change how we think about health care and healthcare delivery. If older adults are unable to go out as much because of extreme weather, then it will become necessary to revisit the concept of home visits. In Philadelphia, some of our geriatric practices have already resumed doing home visits, but it's not necessarily the routine. We can apply the same concept for prescriptions and for food. It may be necessary to provide subsidies to supply older adults with what they need. The goal being to age in place for as long as possible and to make appropriate changes for social groupings
0: so people will not have the same kind of social interactions as a result of climate change? I just want to understand what you're saying.
2: If you are more limited in terms of what you are able to do, you're not going to have as much outside contact as what you had before. So, for example, I limit the amount of time I can go out in extreme heat and extreme cold. That means my interactions have changed, and it means... If I need food, I need to order food in. If I need medication, I have my medication delivered. So it's going to change how we think about things.
0: Okay. And conversely, it'll be more difficult to have people come to the house or what? Do you think that? And I'm thinking again of COVID. So it's kind of a double whammy there.
2: With COVID, absolutely, you're correct. It's very, very hard to kind of think about it. But then people who are working with folks who are immunocompromised or with seniors, hopefully they've gotten vaccinated and frequently tested. So at some point, I'm hopeful that this will, COVID will become an endemic and it will dissipate to a certain extent and we can then figure out different strategies for us to go ahead and adapt to climate change.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking the last part of what I wanted to ask you, Julie, was all of these factors certainly are going to impact an older adult's mental health.
2: Cheryl, you are absolutely right. So if you can't get outside or visit with family and friends for long periods, it's easy to feel alone and lonely. And we've definitely seen that through the pandemic. So a report published by the American Psychological Association in partnership with EcoAmerica and Climate for Health suggests that major chronic mental health impacts will include higher rates of aggression and violence, more mental health emergencies, increased sense of helplessness, hopelessness and fatalism, and an increased feeling of loss. We're already starting to see that amongst older folks when they have to limit what they're able to do on a given day, which goes back to kind of rethinking about structuring your activities. And so when I think about it, I think about ways in which to boost my morale when I'm feeling a little bit of the climate blues. I crank up music and dance. Exercise is a great way to kind of get things going. I contact people that I know it's referred to for me as smiling and dialing. And I also spend a fair amount of time on Zoom and that gives me an opportunity to kind of see people. And so it's, oh, well, you have to start getting a little creative because it's not gonna be the same way it's always been. And we have to start to think about creative ways to kind of do that. Rose is going to be talking about some of the services and supports that you need and how older adults can increase and support their spirits.
0: Okay. And that was just what I was going to ask next.
1: So Rose, tell us about that. Well, first I want to say thanks, Julie, and that was really great. It presented a clear idea of what climate change is and what its effects are specifically on older adults. Now let's talk about how climate change will affect the services and support that older adults need. It's interesting that there isn't much information on policy in the U.S. or internationally that addresses aging and climate change. One would think that we would have policies out there to guide where uh, we're going. Agencies aren't separately tracking older adult populations. So we don't really have an in-depth awareness of where we're going with older adults. Only one country out of 110 report on older adults' efforts to reach the climate goals. That's a little different than the services they receive. But it shows that if only one out of 110 report on their efforts to address climate change, that there's opportunities to increase that. And there is, unfortunately, little climate change communication that specifically informs and supports older adults. So, obviously, more support in that area is needed. So, first, let's talk about climate emergencies. They affect everyone, but we can talk about services and support that's needed, especially for older adults, if they have limited eyesight, limited mobility, and living with pets. Some older adults, myself included, feel like I'm not one of those. But we have to take in mind, take the idea that there are older adults that have these limitations. So, despite emergencies, they want to remain, they may want to remain in their homes so that they can cope better. So, when we talk about climate emergencies and how that issue affects services and supports, What about the loss of power or a brownout in either heat or storms? They often affect older buildings where older adults have lived for years with or without elevators. But they may have CPAP machines. They may have electronic monitors for their pacemakers. They may have oxygen or respirators that stop functioning when there's a loss of power, leaving them vulnerable. The daily health and family caregivers may not be able to reach these older adults if this, they are also affected by the climate emergency. The roads may be out, the buses may not be functioning as, as they should be, the phones may not be connecting them with these uh, older adults. Climate affects the capacity of response by emergency services aging organizations, and health departments. So when you're thinking about ordinarily they're functioning, what does a climate event affect their capacity to respond? The delivery of medicines may be delayed. In a recent storm, my own pharmaceuticals were delayed three days. Fortunately, I didn't need them immediately. But this could be of concern, especially for insulin, cardiac drugs, inhalers. Older adults may not have a backup system of of insulin, so they need to have their their, uh, drugs at the time they need them. Food delivery may also be delayed. Giant, fresh direct or meals on wheels may be stuck in snow, or may be delayed for other reasons with floods or tornadoes so the delivery of medicines may be delayed when we look at long-term care facilities often they're how these older adults are housed in what are not really climate resistant buildings you see in recent tornadoes that the buildings were there had their roofs ripped off and then it rained so they could be severely damaged also in floods, tornadoes, storms. It sounds really grim, but it does happen. And recently in in um, western Kentucky, where I'm from, um, they had some of these tornadoes affecting major swaths of the towns there. That may mean the staff aren't able to get to the facilities, so you know, are these older people sort of on their own until the staff can arrive to be able to help them?
0: One of the things that I'd like to do is to make sure that for this program, we also talk about solutions. I think so often when we hear this kind of grim news of of what's happening, first of all, again, as we've talked about the pandemic, and now as both of you have so uh well presented what the impact is i think sometimes people have this kind of hopelessness so i'd like to turn to you rose as far as solutions what 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 can older adults do to lessen the effects of climate change so uh,
1: let's let's start from the personal level so let me just say quickly um there are also long-term effects of climate change. It can limit food supplies. We know that the, that the um, droughts in the Midwest, so it affects the purchasing power of older adults. Um, climate effects, sometimes older adults aren't specifically tracked and, and, and it's not sure that they can um, get to their attendance in clinics or be able to go to social events. And finally, multiple groups uh, support older adults, but their uh, staff and budgets are stretched. So now, as you suggested, uh, we want to talk about changes needed. There are some systemic changes that we need to do. We need to strengthen and fund area on aging organizations, health departments, social services, and profits nonprofits. More communication is needed to reach older adults. In our neighborhoods, we need to look at developing aging in place cooperatives or informal support groups. Yesterday, a new resident in my neighborhood who'd only been here two days came over and asked me if they wanted to, if they could uh, shovel my walkway. So that informal support group is so important. And it's one of the ways that we can address climate change and make older adults feel safe. We could do home assessments and crank up our delivery services and make sure that house calls and health and social service staff and spiritual visitors are available and actually are reaching out to the older adults. So that's the, sort of the systemic changes. So what can we do? What can older adults themselves do? You know, we're not, we're not helpless. So older adults can take more responsibility to find their needs and to begin to make a plan. After all, we and all of us on this call, are older adults. We're agents of change. We're not uh, helpless. We can consume less energy and water and look at purchasing, our purchasing habits. And maybe we don't need eight pairs of shoes, but we wanna get sustainable things that last longer. One of the key actions we can do is waste less food and eat less red meat and move toward a plant based diet. We can look at our heating and transportation You know, I personally have solar panels and an electric hybrid car. Yet one of the other things we can do as older adults is start to talk about it. You know, there's a recommendation that we talk about climate and we find a a, a way to talk with people who we feel may not think it's important. And we can call our representatives. I push and shamelessly uh, that we look at Project Drawdown and the Climate Solutions Quiz. It's, uh, it's a very good way of looking at what needs to be done and how we pick priorities and do things that really make a difference to reduce our carbon footprint. So, Cheryl, you particularly asked about personal actions. On the issues of heat, Julie did a great job discussing how she adapted during heat events. But one of the other actions that we can do personally is move to a plant-based diet. Eat less meat, red meat, and eat more vegetables and fruits. I don't know if people know that one pound of beef takes 1,847 gallons of water, which is a tremendous toll on our planet. We're saying that we have droughts. So compare that with 39 gallons for a pound of vegetables or 25 gallons for a pound of wheat. Does that, should that push us toward thinking about moving to a plant-based diet? We can make big gains, even if we start with just meatless Mondays. We can also review our personal consumption and buy sustainable products. This is no small thing. You can see in trash cans just lots of stuff being thrown out. If we buy sustainable products, there'll be less trash, and we'll enjoy our good quality products. We can decrease food waste. Actually, my habits have changed a lot since I started to move about decreasing food waste because 30% of the food in the U.S. is wasted. And I've changed my habits already to address that. We can uh, purchase uh, non-sustainable products and eliminate plastic. It's awful. And use reusable water bottles. We can look at walking where feasible and use public transportation or rental cars instead of owning a car that, that we don't really need. I, on a personal note, reimburse for my plane trips. I go to TerraPass, which is a website, and they fund wind energy projects and reforestation projects and other carbon reduction projects. And I give a small amount. I just did, I just reimbursed $49 for five two hour airline trips. And I felt good about it. We can also sign up for renewable energy. You know, PepCO it is a very low on the renewable energy track. So I've used clean choice. You just sign up and say you want 100 percent wind power, and you change from a, a PepCO. PepCO continues to deliver your electric, but clean choice provides 100 percent wind power.
0: You've given like three resources there, and I was wondering if you could tell our listeners how to access those, uh, those sites or
1: resources you're giving. Sure. Let me go back. Um, the quiz, which I really love, is climate solutions-CNN.com, or you can probably find it on the project drawdown. It's a great. Game. The second one was, uh, well, one of them was TerraPass.com/slash/products/slash/ecotourism bundle. So those are two really good ones. I, I'm not sure where the third one was. Oh, you were talking about renewable energy.
0: You were talking about rather than Pepco there was something else that was
1: uh, preferable. Clean choice. If you go on to clean choice, it's a simple uh, way to sign up and it's noted on your electric bill. So I assume it's cleanchoice.com. It's 100% wind power.
2: I think, um, if you don't mind, I think it's called www.cleanchoicenergy.com.
1: I'm glad you asked that, Cheryl, because sometimes people get a little bit overwhelmed by all, all this information. So that's really three good choices to make.
2: And can I just add one thing? Um, the CNN quiz is based on Project Drawdown. So that's another website if you want to totally focus on solutions. And it's www.projectdrawdown.org. Um, sometimes this whole
0: concept of figuring out and this new terms like I've renewable energy or green power. We don't know what that is because we've never had to find out, out about it. And so uh, it's almost like a need for a definition of terms to, to help us understand what kind of solutions we can actually uh, apply.
1: You're so right, Cheryl. You know, I was t- actually talking to my sister who's looking Um, to buy a new car. And, you know, I started to explain things. And she said, well, we don't get that information. So so the whole idea of communications and getting these things out, and also as, as actors ourselves, as older people, you know, how can we explain it to people? I've explained my electric car and how it functions to a number of people. And you know, I can also lead, you know lead them to some websites, uh, but just feel free, feeling free to explain how my solar panels work and how much money I've saved, and how I get reimbursements for uh, putting on those solar panels has really helped neighbors of mine consider them. And there's a lot yet to be explained. I'm surprised at how people do not understand electric cars. And it's been a real treat for me to take people out and drive around and encourage that they go to car shows. (laughs) Does that help? No, that's very helpful because
0: I believe that older adults want to make informed choices as a consumer. They just sometimes don't know where to look or what the best place uh, to find more information or even talk to people. That's why we had both of you on the program. And so on, on both the personal level as well as the family level, it's really needed to to let us know where we can look or who we can talk to to get this information.
1: Well, I think after this session, Julie and I would be glad to, you know, do some, some additional support and, and show some user-friendly websites and resources. And remember, when I started, I said that the communications focused on older adults, it hasn't really come into its own. So, you know, we can help with that. That's great. And if you do
0: either of you have a website or a way of contacting, having people
1: contact you that you wanted to share? Well, I certainly... Would be glad to uh, respond to emails. I don't have a website now, but uh, it's Rose Schneider, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R, 0520 at gmail.com. I respond to a lot of emails during the day. Okay. Julie?
2: If you want to go ahead and contact me through p s r p a and I'll give you a very specific i think it's info at p s r p a dot org
0: that would be great i guess one kind of final question are you both seeing that older adults are being more proactive around the country are they partnering with their grandchildren what
1: what's the future for this uh, crisis. Well, maybe I can talk about the involvement that I have with a green team at my church, and I am on the Archdiocese of Washington uh, core group of green team green teams throughout the 143 uh, uh, parishes in in the Archdiocese of Washington, and it's interesting that with I'd say 90% of the participants are older adults and they're active and they're interested, but it's still a relatively small group. It still needs more mobilization, more outreach, more encouraging people to, to realize that it's not rocket science, that really the things that I was talking about personally aren't rocket science. And as I go into what you can do with your grandchildren, there are things that, you know, any older adult can do. And we need to reach out and make sure that they feel comfortable and are interested in it. Because that's who we're looking out for, our, our grandchildren. Julie,
0: any final comments that you had regarding this issue?
2: Well, I think that it's really important for older adults to understand they have a stake in this. This is part of their legacy that they will be leaving to their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children. So I think it's really important for them to get involved, to feel as though that they have some agency for change, and that there are things that they can do on multiple levels that will make a difference. And so I'm going to quote Edward Abbeys right now, action is the antidote to despair. There's no reason for us to despair, and we have a ton of actions we can take.
0: Well said. Well, I want to thank Julie Becker and Rose Schneider. Both of these women are climate change advisors, and they've given us so much helpful information. And I want to thank both of you for joining me today. If you want to learn about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And when you Get to the site. You can access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content, as well as log on to the Aging Matters podcasts, which are on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, which you can learn more about at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today, and remember age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.